Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Grand Prairie City Councilor Dylan Bressy. First off, I want to thank you, Councillor uh, Dylan Bressley, Bressy from the City of Grand Prairie for coming on the show today. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to start my interview the way I ask all my political guests. Where did your sense of duty come from? I think for me, I came from spending most of my career working with youth. I was running youth programs first in Calgary and then throughout northern Alberta and working with these kids who have a lot of intelligence, a lot of great perspectives, a lot of energy, a lot of humor, and seeing all that they could bring to our community in the future. I wanted to build a place where they could lay down their roots, where they could flourish, where they could care for one another, where they could build families, build careers, build communities around them. And I just wanted to build a great place for these kids I was working with to grow. And now, you can your duty can come in any sense any uh, way whether it be giving back nonprofit or organizing a nonprofit organization or like yourself getting into politics do you come from a political family or were you the black sheep of the family and sort of got the political bug when you moved or when you got into uh, politics in 2017 so i come from a family that definitely talks about politics a lot but hasn't been super involved in politics. And so political conversation is something that I grew up used to, but political activism and going out, knocking on doors, going out and actually engaging with politicians wasn't anything I saw a lot of. Did it come easy to you? That first election that you decided to run in, did it come easy or was it nerve wracking? Because you, you talk to many candidates across the spectrum and you hear that sometimes doors can be challenging and sometimes it can be fun to go knock on doors. What, From your perspective, how was it? For me, it wasn't too big a stretch out of my comfort zone. My old job, again, I was running youth programs and my job was to show up in a junior high or high school say to administration, hey, how can we help in your school? And then go into the school hallways and be a positive presence for kids and meet kids. And if you're gonna walk in as an adult into a high school where you've got, where you're a volunteer there, but you're not a teacher, you don't fit in their normal paradigms and you're gonna go out there to learn kids names and to be a good influence in that school. Well, there's few things more intimidating than walking into a high school to do that especially if you're the kind of kid that was always awkward in high school. And so compared to that, I found knocking on doors easy. And it really wasn't any different building, building friendships, building working relationships with adults isn't really that different than working with teenagers. And so for me, it was a fairly comfortable thing to do. And it was fun right from the start. Was it a challenge to decide to run, though, for yourself? Because the, you have to weigh the pros and cons of running in any election, whether it be municipal, federal, school board, or even provincial. But for you, was it a, a challenge? And what was the decision-making behind your final decision to say, you know what, I'm going to run in 2017 for a seat on city council? Yeah, and for me, it was I got invited to run by a number of people. <laughs> including when I was in Grand Prairie for about three months. This was about 10 years ago. I had been in Grand Prairie for about three months and I got a coffee with the mayor just as a nonprofit director trying to get the lay of the land. And after three months in the community, the mayor said, hey, you should consider running for council. And I didn't take him up on it then. But over the years, I got so many invites to run for council that when it finally came to a time in my career where it made sense. It could work with where my work was going. It could work with my family. I, it, it was a no brainer to me. I saw what I could bring to the table in terms of communication, in terms of representing demographics that often aren't represented at our table here. And it looked like a fun job. And so it was pretty easy for me to throw my feet in fully. Now, now saying that it looked like a fun job. Now going through COVID-19, has it been a fun job? <laughs> Well, I don't think that this is the job that anybody thought they were running for. I don't know if I would have run for council if you would have told me, oh, by the way, there's going to be a global pandemic. 
I honestly don't know what I would have told you, told, told you, but at the same time as our community has gone through such challenging times, it really has been a remarkable experience to have a job where I can ask anybody in the community for a virtual coffee and hear what's going on in their business and their nonprofit and their family and their friends. It's been a real gift to hear the different perspectives and the different ways that my community is adapting. And it's been a real privilege to get to figure out, all right, so how do we as a city, how do we as the order of government closest to these people best support them? And so I don't know if it's been a fun year being on council through this pandemic, but it's sure been a rewarding year. Now, going back to that election in 2017, when you were first elected to the City of Grand Prairie's council, um, uh, just for uh, my listeners, um, City of Grand Prairie is not uh, a ward city, right? It's a it's a at large council election, correct? Yeah, that's right. So I represent the entire city, not just one section of it. So how, how does that benefit you that a councillor like yourself, uh, first term is uh, elected to represent all of uh, Grand Prairie compared to just one section of Grand Prairie? Does it, is there pros and cons to it? Yeah, I think that there's, I think the biggest pro that it's got is it gave me a lot more confidence to run. When I decided to throw my hat in the ring, I, I don't do anything half-ass. When I do something, I do it fully. And so for me, running for office was a year-long, almost full-time job that I did alongside my other full-time job. And I don't think I would have run if I hadn't had reasonable confidence that I could win by working my butt off. And I think the benefit of being at large is voters get to go in and vote for up to eight people. So there's not one person I need to beat. I just have to get people to vote for me and other people. Now, if I'd been in a ward with a really strong, popular incumbent who I was looking at and I thought my chances were a long shot, I honestly don't know if I would have get, if I would have put in thousands of hours into campaigning on a long shot. So I think that's one big pro is at large lets you, I think it gives a better chance for non-incumbents to get in. I think some other benefits are I'm very happy to drive anywhere in the city to walk through the neighborhood park that somebody's sharing some concerns about. I, it's not awkward at all for me to take a call from somebody that lives in a neighborhood that I don't, that I don't live in. I think that's a benefit to our, to our community. Um, I think that especially in one Grand Prairie size, I think wars would be very awkward if you've got a very small geographic area that you're representing because we're such an interconnected community that what works for one neighborhood usually really does impact all the neighborhoods around us. So for a community our size, I don't know if a ward system makes too much sense, especially if you're going to have eight wards because there's eight counselors. Um, that election, back to 2017 here again, um, you were elected. Uh, I was looking at the results. I believe you came fourth out of eight counselors, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's right. Fourth, uh, fourth. Um, was it daunting the moment you realized you were an official uh, councillor elect for the city of Grand Prairie, or was it okay time to shift into councillor mode and get this party started and try to represent the people that have just put their trust in me to the best of my ability? I think for me, it was campaigning was such uh, such a blur and so many long, tiring hours, and so you get elected. And then all of a sudden you're saying congratulations to all the people you're going to be working with for the next four years. You're reaching out to the people you kind of wish had gotten elected and saying, hey, sorry, I hope that we're still going to be friends or colleagues throughout this. And then a few days later, you go into council orientation. And for us, spending a, a even though I was as prepared, I think, as a candidate can be, you spend a few days in orientation realizing that you only know the tip of the iceberg of what you need to need to learn. And, and you're reading all the information, you're getting all the briefings. It's this big information overload. I didn't have a chance really for that first week or so to think through what this job entailed. But I do remember going to our first council meeting and we're about two minutes from going live. I'm sitting at my council table with a microphone in front of me and the mayor, it was an organizational meeting. It wasn't a controversial one. It was literally uh, approving our calendar. 
and approving which counselors were going to be appointed to what committees. And I remember pushing a button to make a motion that I think was to approve a counter. So not a substantial motion at all. And getting this overwhelming sense of nervousness of holy smokes. What do I call the mayor? How do I say this? Am I going to fumble over my words? Is this an important decision or not? I don't know. And it was that very first motion I made was probably one of the nervous I've ever been, most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. Did it come as a shock to you? Was there things that when you got elected, you expect it, but didn't come true and things that you didn't expect that came true that you went, okay, I was not expecting yet the global pandemic. We didn't expect that. But from a council's perspective that, okay, you are officially uh, a counselor 24 seven now. Federal MPs, provincial MPs get to go to Edmonton, get to go to Ottawa. So they're not within the realm of uh, that grocery store political conversation. If you're going to get groceries, people are going to stop you. So was that a shock or were there other things that shocked you about once you got became elected from a citizen's perspective that they kept on coming to you? Yeah, you definitely do. You definitely do raise your public profile a bit and you definitely do get those grocery store conversations. You definitely do. You can't go out to a restaurant sometimes or to the local brewery without somebody that recognizes you wanting to chat with you about things. And I know for me, though, I always enjoyed those political conversations. I think whether I was on council or not, I'd be talking to random people about what was going on in our community. And so for me, it was a surprise how often I'm having these conversations. It was a pleasant one. For me, it's almost that, holy smokes, I get paid to have these conversations. I would have been trying to create anyways. This is awesome. And so for, for me, it was a surprise how many more conversations I'm having with my community now. But it's been a really pleasant one. I'm not one of those people who's going, sheesh, I can't go to the grocery store without somebody talking to me. I'm one of those guys going, hey, it's kind of fun that when I go to the grocery store, I need to plan to spend an extra 20 minutes there. Cause I know somebody's probably going to talk to me. Did you like, because, okay, 20 minutes is good for yourself, but what about your partner? Do, uh, I, I'm assuming you're married, correct? I am married. And <laughs> are they happy with that extra 20 minutes of conversation at the grocery store? It is a very different response I get from my <laughs> wife, from Naomi, if I'm with her versus if I'm not with her, she's just accepted that there's, not 15 minute errands for me. I mean, I've always been a talker, so there were rarely 15 minute errands for me anyways, but I think she's gotten used to, if I'm going on my own to my own devices, that'll probably take longer than it should take me to do a lot of things. But I've had to get good at if she's with me or if my kids are with me, I've had to get good at saying, Hey, I'd love to chat. Here's my business card. Give me a call. Give me an email. Um, I've it's, it, it's sometimes a struggle when I'm with my family and people want me to take time away from them. If I'm on my own, I love those conversations. So how do you balance that as a counselor, as an elected official? uh, One of the biggest challenges is balancing that work to personal life, because like you said, you could be out at a uh, restaurant in downtown Grand Prairie and with your wife and you could potentially be uh, approached by people who want to talk about road maintenance or a pothole down the street. So how do you balance that? Is it just giving that card or have you sort of found a, sweet spot where you can do both at the same time. Yeah. And I found a sweet spot in terms of if I'm with my family, I'll have a, I'll have a quick five minute conversation with somebody. And if they want to have longer then yeah, that will be, here's my business card. Let's set up a time to meet. But I think something that I've really valued and I've really appreciated about this job is that perspective on the community that it's given to my kids. And so when I'm out with my kids and somebody chats with me, I actually like that they're hearing me talk about, potholes or talk about policing or talk about whatever's on people's minds. And then I'm really, cause I'm really intentional after those conversations to ask my children, my kids are six and eight right now. I'm really intentional to ask them, Hey, why do you think that person was talking to dad? What did you hear from them? What do you think we should do with that? And so for me, I've really used it as an opportunity to teach my kids, not just what my job is, not just what politics are, but also helping them understand different viewpoints in our community and what their neighbors are going through. Local politicians usually get elected on a a series of things that they want to get accomplished, whether it be one thing that they think uh, their city or their municipality is lacking and they want to bring that different perspective to their uh, municipality, to uh, to the council chambers. Um, 
you, you talked briefly in the opening few minutes of the interview so far about communications, about how you wanted to communicate a little bit more because you found that your background would give a good positive spin to that and you would be able to communicate a little bit more than, say, what had happened in the past. Is there other issues that you had identified before getting into politics that you said, you know what, we need to fix this. We need to fix A, B, and C. And what were they? There's all these there's all these practical, pragmatic issues that you want to get done when you get elected. For me, it's I wanted to do a better job of our road maintenance so we don't have a huge infrastructure deficit where we have to make up a decade from now because we haven't been maintaining our roads properly all along. We need to spend millions of dollars on catch up. I wanted to do some work on our policing and help people have more trust in our in our policing. I wanted to make recreational opportunities that are affordable for residents more common in our community. So there's all those one-off things you want to do. But for me, it really was giving people a sense that they belong to this community and that their local government serves them. And so the big overarching thing I really did want to work on was transparency, was communication, was more than anything else. I wanted to be a counselor that helped people understand what's being talked about in council chambers and helped our residents know how they could have influence and impact on those conversations. For, for me, I see the city doing all kinds of great things that our residents don't even know about. And it's this black box at city hall of, you know, the big property tax bill you put into it once a year or every month. And you see some of the things you get out of that black box but you don't know all the outputs of that black box and you don't know how decisions are getting made. And so people get skeptical, they get angry, they get distrustful, they get disillusioned. And I really think that if we can let people see into that black box, we'll have a lot more confidence, a lot more trust, a lot more enthusiasm for their community. And it really was that black box was the thing that I wanted to tackle on council. So you know what the follow-up question to that is. You are three years and almost almost four years into this mandate. You're heading into an election. Have you accomplished what you wanted to accomplish to open that black box, to let people see, to let the taxpayer see what, pe- what the tax dollar is being spent on and also what you're doing to make their lives better? Yeah, I think that I think us as an organization at the city have made big progress. I think that the way we communicate our budget, the way we communicate spending money, the way we engage with people as a as a corporate entity making decisions has changed dramatically. We're investing a lot more resources and time and energy as a city communicating with people. But also kind of the fun thing about working on this whole black box problem is if I want to get anything else done at council, I need to convince five of my colleagues to vote with me. And then I need to make sure that administration actually understands and has some buy-in into where we're going. The nice thing about communication is it's something that I can just kind of unilaterally do on my own. And so I've spent a lot of time on my website, every council meeting, I'm writing about the more substantial decisions that council will be making and sharing, sharing my perspective on it. But even more than that, giving some context and background information. So it's an easy place for people to, touch on what we're going to be talking about at council. I spend a lot of time on social media, not diving down into the rabbit holes of all the local groups, but on a Facebook group I created on my page, I'll comment and I'll talk, I'll talk to anyone. And I spend a lot of time answering questions through that and going to coffees that come out of the conversations that start on social media. Uh, I've spent, uh, I've spent a lot of time hosting right now. They're over zoom but pre-pandemic days, hosting coffee meetings to talk about various issues of the city. And I think that I've got, I think that I've got to put in a lot of energy into helping people understand what council's doing. And I think a lot of people have appreciated that and have taken advantage of that. So I think that I've, I think that I've done my part to make our community more informed. The real experiments will be to see what it looks like coming into this election with candidates and voters. And I think that's where we'll really see do people understand their city more than they did before? Um, before we go into the next set of questions here, I, I want to take a moment and say, uh, what is your uh, website address and what is your Facebook page? So that way, if people want to follow you, they can go and uh, check out your blogs and check out your Facebook page as well. So just bressy.ca is my website. And I'm on a few different social media platforms with Dylan Bressy GP. 
Okay. And I will link all your Twitter, your Facebook page and your website in the show notes for everyone that I would recommend that you go follow him. He is a, 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 one of the few counselors I've uh, seen on social media who's actually communicated uh, on a regular basis. Some people just do it once off, but you seem to be doing it on a regular basis. So I appreciate that. So that those links will be in the show notes, everyone. Um, you talk about getting those. Uh, well, actually, before I get into that question, you, let's let's stick on this communication part because, uh, as a city and former city employee and someone who's worked with municipal politicians from uh, here in Alberta to Saskatchewan back to Ontario, uh, in the recent few years, we've seen the rise of most controversial social media platform that's been around Facebook. It can be a double-edged sword. You can see, you can have the keyboard warriors, but you can have actual open dialogue. How do you as a municipal municipal counselor weave through that keyboard warrior slash actual conversation with uh, residents? Because uh, you can have 10 people slamming the keyboard and just hitting the same topic every day, but you can actually have open dialogue. So how do you address both of those sides? I think there's a few things there. I think one is I do my best and mostly I succeed, not always, but I do my best not to let myself get dragged down by those folks. I'm, I really work on social media to, to be polite to people, whether or not they're being polite to me, I really work not speaking sound bites, but to actually give full context and full information. And I find what that does is you're always going to have those Facebook trolls who are just frankly, they're mean and they're uninformed and they're not there to have good conversation. They're there to be trolls. And I don't think that you're ever going to get trolls to be quiet, but I think you can take away a lot of their voice. And what I mean by that is if you engage them properly, I think they're still going to be there, but if they're engaged properly and you're given enough of the real information, you're not going to have so many people going, yeah, that troll's right. Screw that city councilor. And you're going to have a lot of people going, what's this guy's problem? Obviously the city councilor's reasonable. Even if we don't agree with him, obviously he's reasonable. And I think you can take away their voice even if you can't get get rid of them. And that's something I've really focused on is fill that void of social media with positive, informative, real conversation so that that anger and the sound bites aren't all that's happening. Uh, one of the other areas that you talked about uh, that you wanted to address when you were on council was policing. Um, policing has been a hot topic for municipalities, especially in rural municipalities and uh, northern municipalities in Alberta here. Uh, how has uh, the city of Grand Prairie addressed that issue in the last three and a half years since you've been on council? Yeah, so policing's it's been interesting watching the conversations happening in the last year. In terms of you've got all these conversations about worldwide, about how do we fund police properly? How do police interact with mental health calls? How do we have proper both support for our police, but also accountability for our police? And I don't think those conversations were new here in the city of Grand Prairie. For years now, we've been doing a lot of the things that activists around the world are calling for, for About a decade now, we've had mental health nurses responding alongside RCMP officers to go to mental health calls. And it's been a program that's been absolutely incredible. For over a year now, we've been working on establishing uh, establishing a municipal police advisory committee made up of mostly public members to have some public feedback and accountability for our police. Earlier this year, we established a mobile outreach program, which is a social worker and either a bylaw officer or a security officer responding to calls for street engaged folks in our downtown in our downtown core. So we don't have to send the RCMP. These are all things that we were already working on before all the conversations of the last year. And so it's been interesting and it's made my job a lot easier seeing these these conversations that i already saw is really important kind of bubbling up the top and our residents our residents and our decision makers becoming more and more aware of it so i don't know if things have really changed in the last year for us here in the city of grand prairie but i think it's really echoed that we were that we were on the right track and we need to continue the hard work that we've already been doing 
Well, what is that hard work? What is the hard work that, so hypothetically pandemic ends tomorrow, we're not worried about the global pandemic tomorrow, but what is the hard work that needs to be done for policing in Grand Prairie for the next five years, 10 years? Is it, is it transparency, is it communications or what? I think there's three things. One is definitely transparency and communications and making sure that our residents know why the police operate in the way they do. And that doesn't mean they get to know, hey, that one case that they got called to on that house, they all, we get all the specifics of that case. I don't mean that, but in terms of their general priorities and their general approaches, absolutely. I think if we make that again, it's that whole black box. If we make that less of a black box, I think people will trust their police more. So I think transparency is key. I think the something else that's key is making sure that our police are responding to the right calls. I think when you've got somebody in our downtown core who's having a bad day, but isn't a danger to anybody, the police aren't the right resource to respond to, respond to that. Partly because some of our officers and some, some of our officers have the experience and the training to respond to that properly. Some don't, but also police are the most expensive municipal employees we have. And I don't really want to be spending, sending somebody who costs high in the six figures every year for not just to pay them, but also to train them and give them high price equipment. I don't really want them being sent to a call where we can use a lower cost resource to go and respond more appropriately to that call. And so there's make sure that the police are doing what only the police can do. And I also think there's a piece of properly supporting our police. They can only go so far if we don't have proper mental health and addictions programs to divert people to. Our police can only go so far if we have courts that are overwhelmed and a criminal justice system that isn't isn't even that isn't keeping people in it that should be kept in it and isn't rehabilitating people that can be rehabilitated. Police when they care system criminal justice system they're not going to be very effective. And so it's making sure that they've got what they need behind their work. Um, the last area that you talked about, about how, why you got into politics is uh, recreation as well, uh, community and uh, the sense of feeling of uh, like they were part of a community. Um, how have you addressed that in the last four years? And without, without repeating the uh, reaching out communication style, but how do you get people to buy into the city of Grand Prairie to say, you know what, this is a community. We need to look after it as a community and we need to, uh, we need to be accepting that, you know what, things happen, but we need to work together to make them better. So how have you done that? I think for me, the biggest thing is partnering with residents to make their projects happen. For me, I'm not really excited about the city building any new rec facilities that cost tens of millions of dollars and are built by the city and run by the city. I really want us to find what are the lower cost amenities we can build that maybe the city doesn't even have to run. Maybe there's nonprofits or community groups that want to run them, or maybe there are things like a new bike park where nobody really has to run them. You can just build it and the community can enjoy it. And so those types, those types of recreation opportunities. And also we've got some really great neighborhood associations here in Grand Prairie who are groups of neighbors getting together to, to make their neighborhood better. And I, and whether it's through grants or whether it's, through just providing expertise from city staff. We've had some exciting partnerships where we've taken a group of neighbors and said, all right, build something for your neighborhood and we'll help. And I think when you've got neighbors building something together, you know, A, that you're gonna get something in their neighborhood that they're actually gonna use, which may or may not be the case if it's the city just doing it, but also just the building it itself causes them to meet each other, work to work with one another, to build those friendships, build those relationships, make a more resilient community. And so for me, it really is figuring out how can we have partnerships in the community that are supported by the city rather than the city just going on and doing things on its own. And we'll move into the, your time on council now. And there's one area that I wanted to talk about because you mentioned it and I wanna make sure I get this on the record here. You said, to get something passed, you need five people to vote for your issue. Yep. That is how politics works on the municipal level. It may not be five, it may be four, maybe three, but the majority of people on council has to vote for an issue. 
How, how do you work with your fellow counselors? Have you enjoyed working four years with them? Is there usually with any uh, politics, there's conflict, but you resolve issues on a municipal level because you have to see them the next day for a budget meeting or a committee meeting. So how is it being working with your fellow counselors and how is it being to get five other people on your side for an issue that you are passionate about? So this is going to sound like I'm giving you the polite rainbows and unicorns answer. And I promise you, it's really not. Okay. It has been wonderful working with my council. And I know talking to colleagues in the province, that's often not the case. And when I think about if I want another term on council or I want to continue a political career of some sort, I worry that I'll never get the experience I've had this term ever again. And it's all going to be downhill from here. In terms of, I've got eight colleagues who we disagree passionately on a lot of things. We've got very different views about how the city should support its residents. But I know that every single person around our council table is there to serve the community, not serve themselves. And when we disagree, we can argue hard in chambers, but I've never felt personally attacked. I think there's been one or two times where things got a little bit heated in chambers and maybe something was said that shouldn't have been said, but we, we apologize to each other right away. And that night going to bed, I think everybody felt like, all right, I'm respected by my colleagues. This has, been, this has been made up. I think that even when we disagree, especially when we disagree, we really do have a common vision of building a great Grand Prairie for our residents. And we see each other as professionals and we see each other as valued members of the community. We, it hasn't been an ugly political battle for us, it's been healthy disagreements. And again, I know that sounds like the rainbows and unicorns answer, but I promise you it's not. It really has been a really great council that I felt very fortunate to work with. Um, many issues can come up at a council meeting, uh, whether it be potholes, whether it be uh, rec facilities, whether it be user fees increases at rec facilities, uh, whether it be uh, an RFP that's gone out. Um, has there been an issue in the last four years that you've said, okay, this is an easy issue. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Or yeah, let's not do it. And then the moment after it's published in the newspaper, it's heard on the radio, you hear from residents say, why'd you vote that way? And what was it? And have you ever regretted a vote that you've ever made in council to say, you know what? I wasn't looking at it from this perspective. I should have. Yeah. It's, it was our second or third council meeting <laughs> is the vote I regret the most. It was our second or third council meeting. And we had a developer come and they were asking to rezone some land. They were asking to rezone it from whatever is zoned for to agricultural use. And I won't get into the boring about the land use plan and the and the bits and pieces about why that piece of land had to get rezoned and all of that. As a municipal um, employee, I love that stuff though. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my business card. And if you want to have a phone call or a Zoom call later, I'll chat with you about it all you want, but I won't bore your audience with it. Okay. But I think what was most interesting about that was our staff kept on, our staff had a one-off in the report of, hey, there's big property tax implications if this happens. And if you do this, then their property tax bill goes down substantially. And I asked a couple of questions about why is that? I don't get why if you zone land agriculturally, all of a sudden the value of it goes down and so the tax bill goes down. And, and so I ended up making a vote, not under not really trusting our staff when they said the tax bill is going down because I couldn't get them to explain it to me in a way that made sense to me. What I learned about three months later was Alberta's actually got a really backwards way of assessing farmland. And the way the farmland is assessed doesn't make sense from the market-based approach that I was looking at this from. It only makes sense to some bureaucrats and people that know the legislation. It's, le it's legislative. It's not market-based the way we assess it. And it was one of those things of... I just didn't understand the consequences of my vote and the real decision council was making at that table that day. And I think that it was a great lesson because it really taught me, oh, there's times where you just need to step back from the table and say, no, we're not making this decision tonight because I need to learn more information and I need to ask better questions. And it really was a vote where I went into and I thought I knew everything. I thought that I understood how the market worked and I was woefully misinformed. And so you take that 
practice and used it to other votes that you might have said, okay, maybe I need to step back from this and take a few minutes, take a few days and wait to that next meeting to make the decision? Yeah, and I think specifically where that's made me a lot more comfortable over the term is when you're passing a bylaw, you there's a lot of pressure, at least in Grand Prairie, to often pass a bylaw in one council meeting. <laughs> and there's the idea of if you bring it back to multiple meetings, it just takes more staff time. It takes it, it, it delays things and there's pressure to pass it quickly. The interesting thing about Alberta legislation is if there's one voice on council that says, no, we're not passing this bylaw today, one councillor on their own can make it come back to a future meeting. And I think that 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 gave me a lot of comfort and a lot of um, a lot of self-authority to decide, no, I need to be comfortable to pass a bylaw on one night or not. And there's been times where I've been the one vote saying, no, we're not doing this tonight because I need more information. And I think that in retrospect, every time that myself or one of my colleagues has voted to slow a process down, we've had good, important conversation when it's come, when it's come back. And I think it really is teaching you to trust your instincts and to trust your colleagues' instincts when they say, we don't know enough. There's sometimes your instincts are wrong, but I think when the instinct is saying, we don't know enough, and at a high level, we need a better view of this. I think that's often the right instinct. And we can't just assume we know it all as the decision makers. Um, I, I also asked you about residents' feedback about decisions that you make in council. Um, you talked about communication being one of your priorities and you do those coffee Zoom houses now, coffee houses via Zoom and you you do your blog on social media, uh, your website and then, uh, you do social media outreach as well. But have you heard from residents to say, okay, you made the wrong decision on this issue or we're glad you made this decision because it's in the benefit of us and it might not be the benefit of you, the counselor, because you have to represent everyone. You can't bring your personal opinions into it. You have to look at it from a city perspective. So when you're making decisions, do you hear from residents saying, okay, you made a great choice on that one or no, you might have not. And not just you, but as a council in general. Oh, absolutely. I think, and I think one of the consequences of being very active on social media is often you're the one that gets the brunt, gets the brunt of that. And there's times where people will be angry at you because council voted another way and the voted a way that they didn't agree with. And what you want to say more than anything else is, I agree with you. I was the one vote and the rest of council voted against me. And these are all the reasons why I agree with you. Council made a bad decision, but you can't do that. I think that that's not good for your relationship with your colleagues and the team you've got. But even more than that, that's not good for your community. I think that part of my job as a counselor is to give people confidence in their governance and give confidence in council, even when I don't agree with a particular decision. And so it's a, sometimes it's emotionally hard, but I think it's important to, even when I disagree with council, help residents see why my colleagues decided the way they did and help them see why council made a reasonable decision even if it wasn't the decision I agreed with. I don't think council's ever done something where I didn't understand their thinking. I thought their motivations were wrong. I just wanted to go a different way. And so there is that temptation to throw council under the bus, which I don't think is the responsible thing to do as, a, as one member of this team. Um, we've mentioned it a few times during the interview already, but I'm going to turn to the topic that's on everyone's mouth right now, COVID-19. Yeah. How has Grand Prairie dealt with COVID-19 over the last almost year when this airs will be almost a year and two months? So how has uh, the city of Grand Prairie handled the COVID-19 response and how are your citizens doing? So it's the frustrating thing as a municipality is that so much of this COVID-19 response is out of your hands. There's decisions being made by the province that you may or may not agree with, but you have to you have to live with with as a city because we don't get to tell the province what to do. It gets to tell us what to do. Uh, there's there's residents and businesses struggling financially, and we're the order of government that delivers the most services while only collecting about 10% of tax dollars. We just don't have the pockets to help businesses and residents in the way they often they often need it. So there's as the city, there's a lot out of your control, but I think what we've really been working on is supporting, supporting residents to the extent we're able to in terms of making sure that 
outdoor recreation is available to them so they can safely get out with their families. With businesses, we've really worked hard to help them adapt with their changing circumstances. We've had business ambassadors who are city staff that businesses can call up to help translate the provincial guidelines that are so confusing day to day. (laughs) We've made marketing funds available to help businesses that have to pivot, share with their customers, this is what we're doing. We've uh, we've partnered with our Chamber of Commerce and with a local with local co- marketing companies to give e-commerce education classes to businesses that are having to learn how to move away from that brick and mortar mortar model. And so we've done a lot to support where we can and help people adapt where they can. I think the biggest thing though that you do as a counselor is you become more of a counselor in the therapy sense in some ways, in terms of there's a lot of people that feel powerless in these days and feel hopeless in these days. And I found that having a 40 minute Zoom conversation with somebody when I can't help them at all, because they're talking about things that are made at other levels of government, but them just having somebody in a place of some decision-making capability and somebody who the community has elected to lead them Taking time to listen to that person often seems to make them feel a lot better and feel a lot more ready to face the challenges they're facing. And so I think that's been the biggest thing that I've been working on as a counselor. And I think the biggest thing that municipalities can do is help people realize you're not in this alone. You've got you've got neighbors, you've got a community, you've got other businesses that want to see you thrive. And you're not doing this by yourself. You're doing this in a community of people that are facing these unprecedented, difficult times. Uh, Like you said, businesses are struggling the most right now, not just businesses, but they are struggling. Uh, Some are weeks or days away from being foreclosed, uh, being closed up. Um, This is going to hurt the economy province-wide, but also locally as well. Um, In the perfect world, the pandemic would be ended by September when everyone is supposed to have a vaccine. But let's be honest, that does not look like it's going to happen by the sounds of it. How how does Grand Prairie look in 2022, 2023, 2024, if these businesses that are so close to potentially closing up shop, residents can't afford to uh, pay their taxes because they're not working right now. What does Grand Prairie look like in a few years if if we are in the trajectory that we're expected to be on? I've got a ton of hope for Grand Prairie. These times are tough and we're in for a tough few years. But compared to anywhere else in Alberta, I think that Grand Prairie is in an awesome position. I think that when you look at the industry here, When energy markets are struggling, we're sitting on one of the best natural gas deposits in the world. And I think that really helps that industry. But also Grand Prairie's not just an oil and gas town. We've got a very strong forestry sector. We've got a very strong agricultural sector. We're a regional hub with the hospital and all the retail that that entails. And that creates a lot of jobs here. And so we really are a diversified economy here in Grand Prairie. I think that gives me a lot of hope for our next few years. And also we've got a population here of young entrepreneurial people that are hardworking. And that's a bit of an Alberta cliche, but in Grand Prairie, we really, we're the youngest community in Canada. We've got more kids under six here than we have seniors. We've got, and when you've got people that are out here to, when you've got a population that's out there to make its mark on the world and to build for its family, there's a lot of mobility and there's a lot of energy there that I think really can be harnessed for for exciting things. And we've also just got a sweet place to live. We're a place where the cost of living compared to wages here has always been very beneficial to the people that live here. And I think that when we've got people across across our country that are in for hard financial times. Grand Prairie, where there's lots of work, where there's different industries, where you can afford to buy a house and where it's also a pretty sweet place to raise a family. I think that we've got, that we're going to lead this country in recovery. And that's exciting to me. 
If that's not a transition to my next set of questions, I don't know what is. And I think if you just cut that last 30 seconds out of that interview, you've just got the best commercial for Grand Prairie for 2021, 2022. Um, one big before I ask actually that question, there's a, t- a thing that I just thought about. Um, earlier this year, 2021 in January, your mayor, Bill Given at the time, decided to resign and take a job in Jasper. Uh, was this a blow? And how did council determine that your now current mayor, Jackie Clayton, uh, her worship, uh, Jackie Clayton, uh, would be the next interim mayor until the next election? Yeah, it was... I think council was very sad to see Mayor Given go in terms of he's a he's a guy that gave 20 years to public service in our in our community and he sacrificed a lot to do that and I think whether or not when whether or not I agreed with him on issues I always really appreciate the thought that he brought to what he was talking about and the history that he brought to what he was talking about as well and so he was a big part of our council but I also think that he left eight people behind who have done the homework over their time on council to learn the issues, to, to figure out what the community needs. And I think that with, with him leaving, it's, we're re- we're ready to finish this year strong. And I think he left us well positioned when he did, when he did leave us. So we, I, I miss Mayor Given, but I don't think that council's incapable of moving forward without him. I think that we really are well positioned. In terms of, in terms of Mayor Clayton, Mayor Clayton, um, when a mayor leaves, I think the best thing to be would be to have an election. And unfortunately, the way that the, the timeline worked, it takes about three months to hold an election. If we would have voted a new mayor, they would have got in in late spring. They would have had two or three months to do what they wanted to do, and then we would have been in the next election already. And so that just wasn't worth spending. It costs about one hundred fifty thousand dollars to have an election. It's not worth spending that much money to give a mayor three months in three months in the chair. So we had to choose an interim. And I think why I think the strengths that Mayor Clayton brings to the table is she's got a really deep community connection in terms of she's not just a person with personal roots here, but she's worked in a variety of industries and she served on a variety of important nonprofit boards in our community including on the board of our college. She served on the board of our water company. She's, um, she's been key in, and she's been key in making some community organizations go. And I think it really was somebody with that broad perspective and also somebody who can work her butt off. I know that Mayor Clayton, I don't even know if she sleeps (laughs) based on some of the times that I've gotten phone calls and texts and emails from her. And she's got a hard year ahead of her. And she's somebody who we know knew could take that work on her shoulders and thrive with it. So we'll go back to COVID-19. Thank you for answering that. I just wanted to get that on the record because there were some, uh, some issues of why there wasn't an election, but you just addressed them. So thank you. Um, Grand Prairie, like you said, you have hope for Grand Prairie. Uh, as a listener to the show from coast to coast to coast and around the world, uh, if people ever decide one day, you know what, I want to go to Alberta, why should they make a special stop in Grand Prairie? What does Grand Prairie have for a visitor that you would want to recommend to them and why should people visit? Well, if you want to just visit Grand Prairie, I, it depends on what you want. If you're into arts and culture, we've got a free admission art gallery that's one of the biggest in the whole Western side of the continent. And it's had world-class exhibits that have only stopped in one or two other places in North North America. Or if you're into folk fests, we've got an incredible Bear Creek Folk Fest that puts a couple thousand people on a hill in front of world-class performers. So it's a lot more intimate feel with artists than you'll get anywhere else, but they still are world-class artists. So if you're into arts and culture, we got that. If you're into nature, you can drive five minutes south of Grand Prairie and you're in a beautiful Foothills River, or you could drive an hour and a half away from Grand Prairie and you're in the mountains, including on a day trip, you can go to Powder King that's got some of the best powder in Canada. Or if you want to go a little bit north of Grand Prairie, five minutes away, we've got prairies with the big prairie skies. So if you want to get outdoors, we're a great place to be. If you're 
somebody who's into sports. We've got we've got everything. We've got a world class recreation center. We've got a bike path that goes along a river right from the north bounds of town to the south bounds of town. We've got a beautiful new outdoor pool. Uh, I'd be, I have to mention that we've got three world-class disc golf courses in our region. That's my nerdy hobby. And so if you're into sports, arts, culture, or nature, we've got it all. It's a great place to be. And I will say, as a former person who visited Grand Prairie often, you have one of the best, if not the best, Christmas light display in all of Alberta during Christmas time. And I forget the name of the location where it is, but it's in the south location of Grand Prairie. The council will probably be able to tell me exactly where it is. That's true. It's in Evergreen Park, which is just outside of Grand Prairie in the county. And it's great. It's a light show where you we can do it this year, but next year, hopefully, you get to get on a horse-drawn wagon and you get hot chocolate and apple cider and you get to drive through this incredible uh, snowy Christmas light display that also raises a lot of money for local charities. It really is the highlight of the Christmas season for my kids. Um before we go, I have one last question, and you probably expected this question. As this is going out in May, with an election coming up on October 18th, can we expect to see your name on the ballot in 2021? So, sorry, when, when's this going out again? May, this will be middle of May. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm confident to say, yeah, my, my work on council I don't think is done yet. So I hope that you'll see me at this table on the next council term. Awesome. Well, uh, we look forward to seeing you on there as well, because like I said, your communication style is amazing. You are a constant with it. And uh, it's refreshing to see counselors actually communicate with the residents from time to time and not just rely solely on the communications of the, ta the town or municipality. So greatly appreciate it. Cool. Hey, just the last thing I want to the last thing I want to say is as we're getting into the summer, I know there are some people across our province who are probably thinking, do I want to throw my hat in the ring of council or not? And if you're thinking about it, just say yes. This really is a fantastic job where you get to make meaningfully ch meaningful change in your community. I can't say enough good things about throwing your hat in the ring. So if you're thinking about it, the answer is yes. I would agree with that. But the issue is some of the financial laws that have just been changed by the province has made it harder for unknown people to get their name out there. So yes, put your name in the hat, but be prepared to put a, raise a lot of money for this election season. <laughs> yep. That is an unfortunate change that has, that has been made. And I also think that's why more than ever, we need qualified good people who are willing to rise up to that challenge. That's true. Well, Councillor Bressy, I want to thank you so much for this. Greatly appreciated. Um, like I said in the middle of the interview, uh, for more information for his website, Facebook page, and Twitter, the show notes will have them. I will link them in the show notes on the uh, when we publish this episode as well. Thank you so much for sitting down and doing this. Great. Thank you. It was a great day. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown & Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye -bye.